It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. We're recording video for this episode as we have started to do for most of our episodes. So if you're listening to the audio only version of this, we encourage you to go over to YouTube. And if you're watching on YouTube, hello. I mentioned that specifically today because we're recording in the evening, which is something that we rarely do. But, you know, for scheduling reasons, it made the most sense for us today. And my lighting, I feel like looks like I'm about to tell like a scary story. I feel like I'm about to tell a ghost story or like say something really dark, uh, which is not the intention. Jason's lighting looks pretty bright. In fact, you know, Jason, my birthday is coming up soon as of the the recording date. But when this episode's out, it'll be a few days after my birthday. The thing that I told my sister, she felt like getting me, I would be excited about. Because as we talked about an episode before my birthday, I was saying how I don't really like getting gifts unless somebody knows for sure that I want it or I'm going to use it. I'm very practical when it comes to gifts, even though I like surprises and I appreciate any gift, right? Like it's not, I'm not trying to be picky, like out of lack of appreciation, but right now, I guess it's like a minimalism thing and sustainability as well. I feel like why would I have something or keep something if I'm not going to use it? I'm trying actually to actively reduce the things that I have around me. Anyways, one thing that I have been thinking about getting myself and thought, well, if somebody else wants to get me something, I'll let them do it instead, is a new webcam. I did all of this research recently, and I came across this amazing webcam. It's called a Razer. And I believe it just came out a few months ago, this specific model. I just love, I love anything that enhances video or audio. And I haven't bought a new camera in in some time. I bought the Logitech webcam that I guess I got that many years ago. I mean, I know it was before 2017 because I think they haven't even updated this particular webcam since 2017. And you have, I think, the newer one, Jason, which I I believe is like the 920. Is that right? Yeah, I have the newest version of the Logitech. It's the one, it does 1080p. And it has the Carl Zeiss lens with, uh, with HD. So I got the latest, greatest one. And, you know, for the most part, since we're geeking out about tech for a second, it does a pretty good job. Low light, it's not great, which is why I, I you can't see it, it's out of frame, but I brought my lamp from my bedroom into my office because the only light that I have for YouTube viewers or listeners, I have an overhead light, but it's behind me, so I don't get front lit. So without a front light, this particular webcam doesn't do great in low light situations. So henceforth... I have my warm amber light from my bedroom in here when it's doing a pretty fantastic job. 
Well, I think this is interesting for anyone who's curious about the behind the scenes. We'll link to an article that we wrote about our technology and what microphones we use. And it does need to be updated now that I have these new headphones. And if I get that new webcam, or I should say when I get a new webcam, because I think it's imminent, I will update it as well. And so far, the Razer is the one I'm most likely to get with or without it being a birthday gift. <laughs> there is a Logitech camera that's pretty cool called the Stream Cam that I w- was looking at. And I think that was my second choice. And one of the things that the Razer does, Jason, is uh, it really adjusts for low lighting well. And that's like their big claim to fame. The one downside is that it doesn't do 4K and people thought it, that was strange. So I feel like we don't really post in 4K at this point. But, you know, there's always trade-offs with all this equipment stuff. And it's like, I love technology, but I also try to be very mindful of when I make purchases, both financially and resource-wise, and also don't want to like encourage myself to overuse technology. But because now we're doing so many videos for this channel and just because of the state of the world these days, a lot of my speaking appearances are virtual or various projects I work on. I think it's a good piece of technology to to upgrade to. So I'll keep you posted. If suddenly my video looks amazing, you will know why as a viewer. And I'm sure I will, will announce it with a lot of excitement when it happens. Anyways, I felt like there was some something else I was going to touch on upon this, but I will tell a story. It won't be a, a dark story. It won't be a scary story. It's funny, though, when I think of scary stories, I think of like the scary stories we would tell as kids that were ultimately pretty innocent. And I think you and I, Jason, talked about that collection of books. All I remember, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about, Jason. It was a big part of our our age range childhood. (laughs) Wait, I don't even have to tell you, give you a cue. You know what I'm talking about. What's that book called? Or there was like at least two, maybe three editions of it. What was it called? I believe you're referring to scary stories to tell in the dark. And Guillermo (laughs) del Toro actually made that into a movie maybe three-ish years ago. I never saw it because partially, well, first of all, I love Guillermo del Toro. If we can nerd out on directors, Hellboy and, you know, all the great work that he's done over the years, so many good movies. So on the one hand, I like his work as a director, but part of me didn't want to see it because I don't know if you feel this way. It's not the case with all books that are adapted to movies, but sometimes I don't want to see the movie because the book is so the imagery from the books I've read over my life is so rich in my head that I'm afraid that the movie version is going to absolutely suck compared to they call it the theater of the mind. Right. So I think I didn't see it, Whitney, and I haven't seen it because I didn't want it to ruin the imagery that I had in my head from from childhood. But now that we're bringing it up, maybe I will see it because, again, I love Del Toro and his work. And But anyway, you haven't seen the movie, have you? I haven't. And it also reminds me that they did the R.L. Stein books, which were a pretty big part of my childhood, with Jack Black, I think. Maybe he played R.L. Stein or something like that. I didn't see that. It looked, didn't look great. And for similar reasons, Jason, I was like, yeah, I have good enough memories of that stuff as a kid. <laughs> I will tell a story today that will not be scary. It leads us into the subject matter today, which is a quote from Alan Watts, and I will share it or have actually probably have Jason share it because I like hearing Jason recite quotes. But leading up to this particular quote that we wanted to explore today, 
I have this membership community that I've talked about before called Beyond Measure. I can't remember exactly when I started testing it out. It's still in in beta test mode at the moment, meaning it's invite only. It's a very small group of people. I'm getting ready to make it public, which I'll also share with you, Jason. It's been a, a very long work in progress for me. And it doesn't feel like it needs to be rushed, which is actually a very pleasant experience. I think sometimes when we're working on on projects, we're either drawing them out too long because we're they never feel quite right or ready, or we're rushing them because we want them to you know, we want to make money from it, or we have some other reason. And and maybe neither choice feels best for it. I've really been trying to tune into what beyond measure needs and what other people need, because this project has become so much beyond me. I initially, when I was creating this, I, I just felt like it was such a personal project. And the beauty of beta testing it with a small group of people is I've really started to explore facets of this concept that had not even occurred to me on my own. It's really been a work in progress with a community. And and one of the elements of it is that we do a group activity and it's it's everything about Beyond Measure is optional. So the members kind of choose their own adventures. And oftentimes we come up with ideas together about what we're going to work on. We had this idea around tracking our habits based on the book Atomic Habits. In that book, James Clear has a process called the paperclip strategy. And I believe, if my memory serves me, that it's it's about like using a small visual cue to show progress. At least that's how I interpret it. I honestly can't remember the exact the parameters of the strategy he created. But the group in Beyond Measure, we were talking about the book. We actually, in the month of February 2021, we had a book club and we read that book together and discussed habits every week. And then when we were leading into March, we thought, like, what can we do to build upon habits? How can we use this book to further support us? And we were exploring this paperclip strategy. And through that, we were reflecting on how can we use visual cues to celebrate our wins, to really allow ourselves to not just track our progress, but have a visual indicator of something that we've accomplished, which I think is a beautiful thing. One of the members in the group actually had a great idea, which was instead of something like a paperclip, she might use the crystals around her home that she owns and collect them all in one place. And then they create this like visual, beautiful appearance, right? If you're, I think, you know, like me and Jason, we tend to accumulate crystals and precious gemstones because they're very beautiful and they often represent something. They either are a gift or they, we purchase them for ourselves because we're drawn to them or, or, you know, every crystal has a meaning behind it for the most part. And anyways, I have more crystals than I could count. So I was like, wow, that's a really cool idea. But then I thought like, well, what if someone's not like us and they don't have crystals? Rocks are still a really cool thing. And I noticed in the past year, Jason, that I enjoy collecting rocks. And I also noticed that if you really pay attention, you will find some of these crystals and gemstones literally in your backyard sometimes. When I was growing up in Massachusetts, I had found all sorts of different rocks and stones and things and like was so intrigued by them. And when I was on my road trip last year in 2020, 
I was collecting rocks every now and then. And sometimes I was like, wow, that looks like a piece of quartz. Maybe that's a rose quartz, you know? And I was starting to identify these rocks that were just like out in nature because that's where they're coming from, right? Versus getting them in a store when they're all perfectly polished and and beautiful. It's actually pretty cool to find them out in the wilds, quote unquote. (laughs) And you can buy a rock tumbler. I can't remember if I mentioned this in another episode, but after my trip, I thought, Maybe I'll get a rock tumbler one day. So that's another gift idea for myself. I'll put it on my list (laughs) when I get stumped on what gifts to ask for. A rock tumbler is cool. You basically can put grit in this round circular container and put rocks in. And if you let them tumble, I think you have to put some water in as well. You let them tumble for like a week or two. And when they come out, they should look very similar to rocks that you would buy in store. So if you're into buying stones and rocks and all of that, you can do it yourself and save a lot of money and make it a lot of fun. So project for another day. Coming back to the present day, we decided to create an activity called March Rocks. And that has a few meanings, but the main meaning is that every day we and anyone else who's participating in this activity with us will go out for some sort of time in nature. And that could be for a walk, some sort of movement. That could be to get some sunshine, some fresh air. That could just be whatever it is. Maybe it's literally walking to your backyard. doesn't matter. But spending some time in nature every single day is the goal and the habit we want to build. And to represent that habit and give us a, a visual reminder and reward and system for it, we would, every time we went out into nature, find a rock and bring it home. That was step one of this. Another one of the members in this group came up with the idea that we could either draw on or paint on the stones or rocks something, some either a piece of artwork or a word, and then keep that rock as another representation of a you know a nice phrase to have or something pretty to look at in our home or we could take that rock and put it back out into the neighborhood or nature for someone else to find i don't know why i said neighborhood or nature but i suppose <laughs> if you live in an area where there's not a lot of people around maybe you just put it in the backyard or something right but if you're like me in los angeles there's a big neighborhood around so When I'm going out to collect a rock, it is out and about. And my process for the month of March 2021 has been to find a rock somewhere on the sidewalk, take it home, and then draw on it. So I'll actually show you one of the rocks. So another reason to watch our YouTube channel, you get to see the visuals. This is one of the rocks that I collected, and I'll describe it for any of the listeners. It is some sort of stone. What would you call this shape, Jason? Well, when you had it the other way, it kind of looked like, uh, no, turn and then flip it. It's Ohio. It's the state of Ohio. <laughs> and then doesn't this kind of look like Utah? Isn't Utah shaped like this? Kind it of, is. Or Arizona? Yeah, dep- One of yeah, the dep- states is like this, huh? Yes, depending on how you flip it. I believe that's... Uh, and then this yeah. is, uh, it's like bringing up our, our country geography. I feel like there's another state that's shaped more like this. This could be a fun little game, right? So, I mean, honestly, I didn't even think about this to now, but like, this is like so fun, like just getting a rock, which seems so meaningless. And part of the activity for me has been 
tuning into nature. In fact, actually, we'll get to the Alan Watts quote. It all ties into this, I promise. (laughs) One of the reasons I wanted to build this habit of going outside every day was to get away from my screens. And we've talked about this in some recent episodes that I wanted to move my body more. I wanted to spend more time in nature, get some fresh air, sunshine, all the things I listed. But I also wanted a very intentional practice every single day of being off my device. So that was what made Mark this March Rocks project and activity as part of Beyond Measure something really important for me. But it's started to add so many different layers to it, which has been fascinating. And, and one of them I'm discovering right now is that a rock is not just a rock. It can be. It can be something you stumble upon. It can be something you stub your toe on. It can be something that you kick accidentally while you're walking by and you don't even think about it. That's how most of us relate to rocks. But some of us find magic in rocks, like if you're a rock collector. I know for me, like going to the beach is always kind of fun to look at the rocks and stuff on the along the shore side or something. But looking at them in the neighborhood is something I had not, to my recollection, ever done before. And each time I go, I'm now on day 16, I think, of this activity. Every single day, I find a different rock and they they're all so different. I mean, literally, they're kind of like snowflakes, right? No, None of them are exactly the same. And I think that's part of the excitement of this is that if you've ever bought, gone to a, a crystal store, a gem store, or so many shops have sell rocks, you know, as gifts, especially it's a very touristy thing in some areas, they all kind of look the same. Like they might have little nuances, but they tend to look very similar. They the different shape, maybe the color is a little different. But when you get them out in nature, they're they're vastly different because they haven't been touched by human beings. However, I've also noticed on my walks, Jason, that that some of the rocks are actually very similar. So that's what's also been fascinating. Sometimes I find rocks that are like sticking out of the dirt. But most of them, because of the neighborhood in Los Angeles I'm in, most of them are like part of the landscaping And so that's been an interesting thing is I think like, hmm, I'm going to take a rock out of somebody's landscaping they clearly paid for, take it home and then, you know, draw on it. I feel a little conflicted about it, but I've I've overcome it because I feel like there's a bigger purpose that I'll get to. (laughs) And I also try to like not take like there are actually so many rocks in this neighborhood, which is also very eye opening, Jason, like more than I could even try to count or or estimate, right? Like some, some landscaping is full of thousands of rocks. I'm like, okay, they're not going to miss this one rock, but what if I could add to it? What if I can make it even more valuable or special? So this rock right here, I don't know what I'm going to write on it. Maybe we'll determine together, Jason, perhaps you'll come up with it. Sometimes I, I write a word on it. I have this pretty cool pen or marker. This is called a paint marker. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see the visual. And and if not, we'll link to it in the show notes. It's uh, called a deco color. And I already had this. I wanted to do a little bit more research to see if I could get something eco-friendly, but I I do feel like being eco-friendly, one of the best things to do is to use what you have. Once I run out of this marker, I will probably examine it. So if the listener or the viewer on YouTube has any suggestions, I would love to know, is there an eco-friendly option? Because it turns out, Jason, that there's a whole community online of people that paint rocks. 
I started researching hashtags and there are so many hashtags around this. I, I've barely skimmed the surface. I started looking at the hashtags because as part of March Rocks, as part of my accountability and habit forming process, I have been documenting every single rock I find. <laughs> so every day I do a post. If you go to my Instagram at Whitlauritsen, W-H-I-T-L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N, if you go there, you can see the rocks that I've painted. By the way, as an aside, I want to acknowledge that we don't necessarily know if there's anyone visually impaired who listens to our show. So please remind me and Jason ever if we can be more inclusive for you. I'm trying to tune into things like that. You know, we we have made our show more inclusive in terms of people that uh, that are deaf or hard of hearing. There's a whole transcript for our, our show notes, and hopefully that's been easier to find. But one thing I don't know that we've like really even acknowledged, Jason, is that there might be people that that are visually impaired or don't have vision. So when I say things like you can go see something, it's not meant to exclude you. And that's why I was trying to describe this rock. Anyways, my ignorance on visual, visual impairment aside, I have been posting photos and and writing descriptions for each of them. So I I suppose that's something I've been working on as well, is that you can read people's captions. There's features for platforms like Instagram that'll read the captions out loud to you. But I don't know if I've done a good job at describing the rocks. So maybe uh, that's something I can work on. Instead, what I do in my captions is I tell the story behind each rock. I share my experience of the day and I share a little bit about why I, what I wrote on the rock. As I said, for me, I don't draw like a picture on it or paint it or doodle on it. I write a, a word or a phrase. And that leads me to the Alan Watts quote. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Jason, because A, I love hearing you read quotes. And B, I would love to start off the quote conversation around what that means for you. Before you start to share it, I would just like to acknowledge that I did not come up with this quote idea. It was one of the people in on Instagram, as part of the Instagram community. His name's Ted, and Ted wrote a really thoughtful phrase, or sorry, a, a really thoughtful comment on one of my posts suggesting this phrase. And I don't recall if he was encouraging me to write it on one of the rocks that I found or just sharing it. But regardless, I wrote it on a rock. So I found one of the larger size rocks and I wrote out this quote on it and it actually took up three sides of the rock. So that was kind of fun. Normally I would write it on just one side. There'd be like a short phrase, one word. But for that quote, I design wise couldn't fit it all. So I had to like keep turning it. It was kind of a fun process, especially for this quote. So with no further ado, Jason, will you please share the Alan Watts quote and talk a little bit about how it resonates with you? Yeah, I had been following along with your March Rocks project for, well, since the inception. And this one hit me in a very particular way, differently than the other ones that you had shared. And it's because I'm a, a big Fan isn't the right word. I appreciate Alan Watts's perspective on Zen and a lot of his philosophies. And the quote is, the reason you want to be better is the reason why you aren't. 
And I remember it when I when I saw that, first of all, I'd never heard this Alan Watts quote before. And so it 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 hit me in a particular way of like, oh, I'd never heard him say that before. And secondly, I think it's part of an ongoing conversation that I have with myself and also some of the things we've discussed here on the podcast regarding, I suppose, the way that we as humans strive for certain things, thinking that we're going to feel happier, more joyful, more complete, more perfect, whatever it is in in that. The way that I interpret this was the thing that you're chasing in life, because you're chasing it, it's moving further away from you, right? Because you think you need this thing, it's actually creating more distance between you and the thing that you think you need. And I stumbled Whitney upon an interesting Tumblr page, which I, I thought Tumblr was dead, but apparently it's not. Apparently Tumblr's still out there. And this blog has some interesting, I suppose, perceptions regarding this particular quote, and I wanted to share a little bit of it. So the full quote, okay, let, let me say this. So, so out of context, this is an Alan Watts quote that was pulled out of a longer lecture, and I want to read the full quote from which this is extracted to give it context, if that's cool, because it's really interesting. So the full phrase from Alan Watts where this comes from is, the reason you want to be better is the reason why you aren't. Shall I put it like that? We aren't better because we want to be, because the road to hell is paved with good intentions, because all the do-gooders in the world, whether they're doing good for others or doing it for themselves, are troublemakers. On the basis of, quote, Kindly let me help you or you will drown, said the monkey, putting the fish safely up into a tree. Sometimes doing good to others and even doing good to oneself is amazingly destructive because it's full of conceit. How do you know what's good for other people? And how do you even know what's good for you? If you say you want to improve, then you ought to know what's good for you. But obviously you don't know, because if you did, then you would already be improved. So we don't know. We do not really know how to interfere with the way the world is. It's super interesting. And the paraphrasing of this in in a comment below this was to paraphrase Zhuangzi, who was another philosopher, happiness is the absence of striving for happiness. That's an interesting kind of inversion of this. Happiness is the absence of striving for happiness. And I think what it goes back to for me, Whitney, is, well, one of the reasons that I destroyed my vision board, and I've mentioned this in previous episodes, was I realized that my striving and wanting the house, the car, the money, the external things was a constant reinforcement of the evidence that I lack it. And so I think sometimes when we're striving so hard for something in our lives, we're reinforcing a perception that we don't have it. And then it just pushes it further and further. And Now, some people might disagree with that, right? Some people on the train of hustle, grind, repeat are like, no, you got got to keep striving, never-ending striving, never-ending going for what you want. But I think it can be very psychologically detrimental to do that. And and that really is what, what was the initial hit for this Alan Watts quote is that you keep striving for the thing you want and the thing you want keeps running further away from you because you're too needy for it. It's almost like sometimes, and, and I've noticed this in the past in relationships, like when I wanted love so badly from someone and was too needy and too aggressive for my need for love from that person, it actually repelled them from me. 
because I wanted their love in a very needy and very particular way. And it ended up pushing that person out of my life. And so I think, again, whether it's love, success, material wealth, these things, if we're too needy and we're too in the perception of, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, that energy has, to me, it's the opposite of magnetism. It's almost a repelling energy in life. I'm curious if you've noticed that in your life too, Whitney, and and also how this quote from Alan Watson, that passage I read, how does it resonate with you? Thank you for sharing all that because it's so interesting to discuss quotes because <laughs> they they really can resonate with us in different ways. And um, hmm, I just I liked the way it sounded. I suppose I liked writing those words, and I reflect a lot on this desire that we have to be better. You know, and that's something I'm I'm pondering often. Like, why do we want to be better? So I that idea of like, well, the reason why you want to be better, just the start of that sentence really resonated with me. And then that concept is, okay, what does that mean that the reason why you want to be better is why you aren't, or the reason, yeah, the reason you want to be better is the reason why you aren't. I suppose it comes back to things like authenticity. You know, a lot of us are looking for strategies, like how can we how can we improve? How can we be high achievers? How can we be high performers? How, how, you know, on and on. Like, it's just like this not enoughness that we feel. And so we, that wanting more all of the time, well, if we always want more, then we're not going to get more because we're never satisfied with anything that we get. I, I suppose that's part of it for me. It's like when I was talking about equipment earlier, like this webcam, I try not to take anything that I receive or bring into my life purposefully for granted, you know? I I really notice, I think the older I get or the more that I've tuned into more of these philosophies around being present and living life to its fullest, like truly when you tune into what you currently have, you start to want things less and less. So this really does go back to what I was saying in the beginning about things like minimalism. I mean, I don't know if minimalism is necessarily about being better. I think it can be interpreted that way because sometimes when we do something that's really working for us, we we think we're better than other people. Like, ooh, my way of life is better than yours. So with something that can start to feel trendy like minimalism, I think it's easy for it people to kind of get in their high horse about how little they need in life. Like we start to compete with each other on like having more or less resources. That's kind of interesting to me. But at the core of minimalism and the big draw for it is is really recognizing that you don't need much to feel happy, fulfilled, joyful. You don't need that much to survive. And sometimes having a lot is at the cost of somebody else or yourself, Having a lot of success can be at the cost of yourself because sometimes success requires a lot of time and time is precious. It's a limited resource. We never get it back. So are you willing to exchange time for money? Are you willing to exchange time for that success? Like, you know, that's a big question each of us have to ask ourselves. That desire to get better is often tied into those things. And then 
when we start to strip things away, we just recognize like, wow, none of the things I own and none of the things that I do really bring me that much satisfaction. Well, do in terms of work. I don't mean do in terms of, there's a lot of things that you can do that that bring us each personal satisfaction. And I think a lot of us are striving to tune into our purpose. But I used the word authenticity earlier, Jason, because I think our authenticity has become a buzzword. It's now used for marketing. And it's like, well, I really want to be better, so I want to be more authentic. But the more you try to be authentic, the less you actually are authentic. So I guess for me, when I hear that phrase, trying to get better, it prevents you from getting better because then you're just so obsessed with becoming better that you never actually feel better. Does that make sense? You're too busy getting better to even know if you got better. What this brings up is on Charles Bukowski's tombstone, his epitaph is the shortest epitaph I've ever seen. And the epitaph on Charles Bukowski's tombstone is don't try. That's it. I feel like you just found the phrase I'm going to put on this rock. And in a way, it kind of does look like a tombstone. So in a way, this episode did turn into a little bit of a scary story, Jason. We've got a tombstone. (laughs) I'm going to write it on there. Wow, this will be interesting. I'm going to do this in real time. I want you to continue. But if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see me drawing on this rock. Don't try. I think what it brings up for me, Whitney, kind of uniting Bukowski and Alan Watts is going back to the reason you want to be better. And how many people actually stop and ask themselves what that reason is? To your point, we're just so conditioned for more, better, different, and greater. We're almost psychotically obsessed, especially in America. Western. I'm just going to say Western culture in general. We're like psychotically obsessed with more and better and new and all those things. We're constantly chasing it. And do we stop and ask ourselves why? Why do I want to be better? Is it because becoming more proficient at a skill like playing guitar or art as Whitney is making this beautiful rock or artwork? Is it that the more proficient I become rather than better, let's say more proficiency, more skill, the more enjoyment I get out of the activity. That's a very specific motivation for, quote, being better. But again, I think the word proficient might be a better usage here. But oftentimes, I think the reason we want to be better is because we think that we suck. I'm not a good enough guitar player. I'm not a good enough boyfriend. I'm not a good enough accountant. I'm not a good enough writer. I'm not a good enough podcast host. I need to be better. I need to get more equipment. I need to take voice lessons. I need to find a coach. I need to get a better haircut. I need to, whatever it is, there's, there's so many offshoots of this. And I think if we're radically honest about it, many of us are motivated. The reason we want to be better is by some sort of self-deprecating, hateful perception of that we're not enough. We're not good enough. And that, I mean, think about this. How many people are actually motivated by joy? That's a rare thing to be motivated by joy and excitement to be more proficient versus, God, I really suck at X. I need to be better. But it's a dangerous thing to this this Alan Watts quote and this Bukowski thing that you're currently drawing. It's like, yeah, if we're trying to be better all the time, there's no appreciation for who we are as we are now. There's no appreciation for what we have or the things that are surrounding us. It's just we're constantly chasing something. 
we're constantly chasing some future unrealized version of ourselves. That's who we're chasing. Some idea that, ah, in the future, it'll be better when I'm this way, when I have this much money, when I look this way, when I have this, it's mind numbing to think about how much in our society is motivated by this. When you think about it, education's motivated by it. Taking courses is motivated by it. Exercise, weight loss, hairstyles, fashion, makeup. I mean, there's so much motivated by this paradigm of I need to be better at X. And I think that it robs us of joy. I think it robs us of appreciating who we are now. And I'm saying this from experience because I struggle every single day with loving myself. And I don't know if people on the podcast know that or whoever's following us. I struggle every day with loving myself. There are a lot of days I don't love myself. There are a lot of days I hate myself, to be honest, like if we're going to really just get into the nitty gritty. And... I think that part of the reason I hate myself is because I've bought into the lie that I was supposed to be better by this point in my life. I was supposed to be somewhere else. I was supposed to have something else, have a different life. And I haven't fully accepted the life that I have because I thought it was supposed to be something different, you know? And so this is a good topic and a good reminder for me because, yeah, I really, I struggle to love myself every single day. And I'm still learning how to do it, you know? And it's because I've fallen under the illusion of I'm, I was supposed to be better. I was supposed to be more successful, richer, have more notoriety, impact more people. So the idea of being better is something I'm trying to undo in my life, Whitney, because it's caused me a lot of pain. It's caused me a lot of pain thinking I was supposed to be different or better at this point in my life. And so it hits home. And I think that's probably why that Alan Watts quote that you posted on The Rock and you, you resonated so much because it's like, oh, I've been chasing this for a long time this idea of better or whatever the fuck that means. Yeah. So I'm still undoing this for myself big time. You know, it's a battle every day for me. Well, thank you for sharing that. I I think that's one of the most important elements of, of our podcast is to be raw and vulnerable when it feels right. You know, this is authenticity to me, you know, this is true vulnerability. The, courage to share hard things like that, Jason. And, and it doesn't go unrecognized to me or our listeners. I don't think, I think it is really helpful to, to reflect on, on the subject matter for all of us, because there's so many reasons why somebody wants to be better. Sometimes there's positive reasons for it, but even, even the interpretation of that quote, Jason, it's like, we become so obsessed with that word better that we want to try. And then when trying doesn't work, we think by not trying, we're still trying, right? Like if you, it's like, if you're trying to get better by doing something, that's not that different from trying to be better by not doing something. Like you were saying, Jason, like it's, it's interesting when you talk about the vision board, it's like, well, this isn't working, so I'm not going to do it anymore. But deep down, you still want the things that were on the vision board to happen, I imagine. Correct me if I'm wrong. But maybe you're trying a different strategy to them. Like Maybe it's like, oh, I'm not going to try, but I'm hoping by not trying, then I'll finally get what I want. So I think another important element of this is recognizing that like, it's actually completely stepping away. We've talked about before, like letting go of attachments or expectations as much as possible 
And that's part of being present too, because being present is whatever is right now is. We have a society that is very focused on the future or extremely focused on the past as well. I mean, I know somebody who has confided in me that she struggles so much with her perceived failures and beating herself up a lot for things that she'd done because she feels like she should have known better, which is another part of this. Like, I should have known better. You didn't. (laughs) And who's to say what you should or shouldn't have known? Like, it's just such a bizarre phrase. But we have that obsession with consequences and learning from the past and not making mistakes again. It's like the past and the future, like they're equally harmful to us. When we sit in the present moment, that's where the peace is. That's where the truth is. And I'm not saying to disregard the past and to not focus on the future. I think there are benefits to all three parts of our lives. But the suffering generally is in the past or the future. Usually in the present moment, there isn't a lot of suffering because the moment is so fleeting. It's constantly passing, passing, passing. And there's like, even trying to define what the present moment is, like that in itself is a meditation. Like, what is the present? Oftentimes for me, the present is just as short as a breath. And some of my breaths are longer than others. So it's like, you can't even really define the present moment. But what I do know is the present moment is not defined by better. Better is to me, purely in the past or the future. So it's not even really real. And thus, it kind of feels silly to even focus on it. I think this requires a lot of deprogramming because um, you see in our culture a lot of conditioning around shaming people for having like an old car. Like, why are you, why, you know, why are you driving that old rust bucket? Or, you know, when are you going to move out of that apartment and like, you know, move into a bigger house or, or God, you're still wearing those clothes. I mean, if you really think about the subtleties of, of how we shame each other and aren't, aren't even cognizant of what we're doing, it's deeply encoded in us to be like, you should have newer stuff. You should have better stuff because stuff defined that that's really what it is, is, is the link between thinking that our stuff and our status defines who we are as beings. And it's nefarious and it's toxic. And ultimately I think it's wrecking our sense of who we are and our overall mental wellness. It really, really is because like who gives a shit if someone drives a 22 year old car, who cares? It's their choice. Who cares if they, you know, you live in a studio apart? Like, who fucking cares about this shit? We care because we think it's who we are. We really, that's why we care because we think that stuff is who we are. That's why we care. And we care because it's constantly reinforced by society, media, culture, parents, friends. Like, oh God, you still have that thing? It's like, yeah, I do. That has nothing to do with you. (laughs) But it does. It does, though, because. Here's why I think people, a part of why people do that is through association, if they're possibly seen with you like, oh, wow, I don't want to be seen driving around with you in that car or seen with you because you're not a fashionable person. There's a million examples of this. But if we're really getting down to the nitty gritty, maybe certain people, if they were to be honest with themselves, it's because they're afraid of the association of being with a person who looks or has you. I think you get get my point here. It's As human beings, we truly need to separate our sense of being from materialism and status. We have to. 
I think for us to be healthy as a species moving forward and to ultimately heal on an individual level, we have to break the sense that what we do and what we have defines who we are. We have to break it. I truly believe that. And I'm in the process of breaking it, trying to, because I realize it's not healthy for me to do that psychologically anymore. That where I live, what I have, what I do is who I am. And I know, you know, intellectually, I know that, but I'm finally starting to have more of an embodied experience of it. And, you know, I think it's part of the the learning to love myself that I was mentioning, Whitney, is that, you know, the house that I'm in, the zip code I'm in, the type of car I drive, the type of clothes I wear, who I associate with, that somehow that those are things I need to be focused on. And I just, I, I don't want to be focused on those things being an intrinsic part of my self-worth anymore. And they've been that way for so long. And I, so I think that the process of undoing that has been really painful for me because I've been driven by those things for such a long time. I think my point in saying this is if you're driven by this lack and this materialism and these things defining you for such a long time, the question becomes if there's a void there, if I'm no longer driven by those things, then what am I driven by? What am I driven by? And I think that's really the juicy question is you strip all those things away, you begin that process of unraveling, then it's like, wow, I don't really care about being driven by stuff and status. Well, shit, what am I driven by then? Oh, is it joy? Well, that's a very kind of esoteric thing. What does that even mean? What makes me joyful? This is where I'm at right now. And it's a confusing and scary and bizarre place to be. But ultimately, I think that as human beings, we have to start asking these deeper questions. Because to constantly be chasing our tails, so to speak, and on the hamster wheel of stuff and status, to your point, Whitney, there's no end to it. Because no amount of stuff and no amount of status is ever going to satisfy you if that's what you're driven by. And it's tempting, right? Because culture and media and society, that those are the carrots that get, get dangled, right? It's the nice house. It's the Lambo. It's the fancy dress. It's the great makeup. It's the cool friends. But maybe, I don't know, at the end of the day, when you start to realize that stuff doesn't really satisfy your soul, then the real question and the real quest begins, right? Then it's like, oh, wow. Now the quest begins. I think that's a good note to end on for this episode, Jason. Lots of food for thought here. I realized that I think you you usually end each episode <laughs> And so I want to be more intentional about the closing statements for our regular listeners who make it to the end of our episodes. You may be very used to hearing Jason wrap things up. <laughs> it's been your unofficial role, Jason. And today uh, I will take the reins for you because I appreciate everything you've expressed. And I know it's not easy. It's, it's a lot to process out loud. And I want to just truly acknowledge you for that and thank you for that, giving me and hopefully our listeners a lot to ponder and, and things that we can relate to. And, and even if you can't relate to this, there's, there's something to reflect on about how it shows up in your life or other people's lives. So thank you for wanting to discuss this quote and bringing new meaning to it. We will have... All of the resources, including this full quote that Jason read out loud, the transcript for this episode, the YouTube video, the audio recording, and any resources we mentioned, especially those at the beginning, the books that we've mentioned, there's a lot that gets mentioned in each of our episodes. 
And we have all of that there in one place at wellevator.com. That's our website. It's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. There you can also find ways to contact us. So if you have feedback, if you want to share anything, everything is there. Our email address as well as links to our social media. But to make it really easy for you, everything that we do is under Wellevator. So if you're on Instagram, it's at Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. We have not as of the time of this recording, made it to the threshold on YouTube to have our own username. So if you'd like to support us in that endeavor, you can subscribe to our channel. And then soon our our YouTube channel should be youtube.com slash wellevator. But otherwise, it's very easy to find us. Those shows called This Might Get Uncomfortable. If this resonates with you, if this made you uncomfortable in a good or challenging way, We'd love to hear from you and we'd love for you to share this with anyone who it might resonate as well. That helps uh, build up the podcast and that helps us really impact other people, which is the whole reason that we do this. Our aim is to reach people that need these messages, that connect with us, that are like-minded, that are seeking out this type of information. And we are so grateful that you found us and that you're part of our community. We have new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Friday are our guest episodes, so it's worth subscribing to hear all the different perspectives that we bring on each and every week. We thank you again for listening and wish you all the very best with pondering everything we discussed today. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.